1: This is Michael Johnston, a host on New Books in Sociology, a channel on the New Books Network. Today I'll be talking with Jonathan Nguyen about his new book, Music City, American Festivals and Placemaking in Austin, Nashville, and Newport. First, we'll uh, start off by talking a little bit about uh, each of these locations. Could you tell me a little bit about each place?
0: I would say that uh, at least how I got interested in them is I, I was thinking about I had some experience in each of the locations um, but I was interested in the kinds of places that are known for um, for music I, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of music I'm a, a fan of kind of sociology of music and I was thinking about um, different kinds of cities and their their character and their commitments and their their place attachment to to music, and as somebody who studies cities and culture, um, you know, there's only so many places that really come to mind when you think that there's something really, really a, a close bonding between music and and place, and um, Chicago is. Uh, well, well-trodden ground for urban sociology. There was some, there's a great book that was just coming out when, uh, on New Orleans by uh, Kevin Fox Gotham called Authentic New Orleans. And um, Diane Graham's also has a great book about about local culture in, in New Orleans. Uh, Seattle would have been a reasonable choice for me. Memphis could have been a reasonable choice for me, but there's there there seemed like something really interesting to me that was going on in, in Austin, uh, which has a kind of very Countercultural music movements going on in, in Austin. It's also a lovely place to visit, <laughs> which is not nothing when you do, you know, kind of embedded participant observation work. Uh, Nashville is well known as being a music city location. And, and I was interested in country music as, as and how it became the kind of dominant force in a city like, like Nashville. And then there was also Newport, which I I'd, I'd been going to kind of casually as a, as a, a music listener to the Newport Folk Festival and I had noticed it's you know kind of being in the New England area and um, it's history of being kind of known for this folk festival and it's it's jazz festival it's kind of like has these twin festivals that they they have going on and so um, those are three locations I thought were kind of interesting to me and so I started zeroing in on that um, for my research and, and they definitely are are curious places I'm, I'm glad I wrote about them.
1: And each of these places, the design had had an impact on the experience that you had as well as the experience that some of the different agents in these locations had. Could you tell me a little bit about how such a design has such an impact on the way that uh, the people interact with their environment?
0: Do you mean, I'm sorry, the design, the urban design of the city itself? Do you mean, I'm the, sorry. The, but, but the, the festival. Uh,
1: I think the also festival. the festival, but I I think that the city uh, also had an impact on the way that the festival was carried out. For example, you said, uh, you wrote in your book that Nashville, the uh, the festival was originally held at their um, on the outskirts of town, at the uh, excuse me, at the fairgrounds. Yeah, it was moved inward into the community, and the way that people carried out their everyday lives at the uh, at the event at that festivity uh, varied from the two different locations.
0: Yes, yes. Um, right. Yeah. No. I think that was that's more. Um, you know, kind of some of the uh, the way that I was thinking about the festivals, and I think you're exactly right. So, um, when, in my research, I was I was I, it's called music slash city because I see these two things as being very very connected, very very intertwined. So, music city, um, not music cities, because I, I was interested in the two of them as kind of co equal uh, components of 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 the space. And so, um, but yes, I, I was interested in the, I, I noticed in my research that the festivals had very different positionalities towards, uh, the city. They were, they were kind of differently related. And, um, and so festivals are one of the ways that people get to experience cities. Not the only way. There are also festivals that, that don't have relationships with cities. Um, I'm thinking of like Bonnaroo, for example, which is also in Tennessee or, um, um, Coachella, which is in Indio, California, which which don't necessarily have a lot to do with cities. They're kind of cities unto themselves, or, or like Burning Man, for example, which is a is a temporary city. Um, and so these festivals, I, I was interested in how they're they, they were kind of related to to place. And uh, I I came up with a kind of three model uh, approach where each of the festivals that I was seeing at were positioned a little bit differently. Um, The the Newport Folk Festival is a a walled off uh, festival, which is uh, 10,000 people go to a location that has fencing and it has food trucks there and it has music and it has water and it has activities. And it's all kind of a, you know, I call it a Citadel model. It's kind of walled off. And then the second model that I saw was a a more of a, um, was scattered throughout the entire city. And that was much like um, Austin, Texas, and the South by Southwest um, festival, music festival. There's, There's other parts of the South by Southwest now. But um, and that just uses all these different locations. So parking garages and music venues and, um, you know, restaurants and empty lots. And there was all these, you know, kind of scattered around the downtown area that comprises the city. And I said that that's something different. So the Citadel is something that is is separate from the city and, you know, kind of walled off in some way where all the resources and activity and the engagement was all going on in a, in a confined geographic space and the the what I call confetti model which is spread out everywhere um, allows the festival to be a part of the urban fabric in a very different way and also allows the urban fabric to be relate itself to the festival more so that you had activities that were um, not official South by Southwest events being still participating in the festival and adding to that experience um, and there's obvious problems that i'd be more than happy to talk to you know in, in regards to that positives and negatives to to that kind of approach to to uh, that kind of a, a a festival format and then the middle ground i call the core which is you know alliteration is always good so uh, the festival is a confetti core and citadel being three c's and the core is using a core set of Amenities that are within a downtown network, so a sports stadium, a public park, a downtown, you know, street, a convention center. Those are all, you know, kind of amenities that are, you know, coexist and co- are co-located within in a small geographic area. So it's kind of like the middle in between the the confetti and the, and the citadel model, and that was Nashville, which has a fantastic downtown core, uh, where comprising of lower. Broad area which has these um kind of historic honky-tonks like tootsies and and leilas and these are fantastic little music venues but then they also have a the big football stadium right across the bridge they have the ryman um, theater they have the um museum for country music and um they have you know a bunch of different like public you know kind of uh, streets that they use and so that's kind of like the core model and so I saw each of these cases as illustrating different relationships between the festival and and the city space itself
1: and would you argue that this was almost a uh, or this was a MESO study rather than a micro or macro somewhere in between looking at the way in which uh, place also has a large uh, larger uh, impact on the way in which society the society and the people within society interact based on uh, based on their surroundings and based on the um, agency they carry.
0: Yeah, I, I certainly think so. I think that my first project was a very uh, micro-level study. Where I was interviewing people who are kind of um, who are tour guides in New York City and how they use the city spaces to kind of weave together their own um, you know stories and, uh, and and use public spaces and public culture to make meaning for themselves and for the city itself. And it was it was a very like kind of um, uh, you know, very, very micro level research project. And when I was, I, I'd be happy to talk about that more or, or less. Um, and when I was looking for a second research project, I was interested in, still interested in cities and culture, and how um, different actors kind of engage with with cities and culture. I was looking for kind of a, a little bit more of a step up organizationally. So I was interested in the the different actors who, and, and organizations that play a part in shaping urban culture and, and, and city branding and city imagery. And so um, for the, um, for this music city book, I was interested in the mayor's office. I was interested in the, I interviewed the chamber of commerce. I interviewed the um, uh, convention and visitors bureau. I was interested in, 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 Music organizations. I was interested in city council. I was interested in these kind of meso level organizations that still, and how they kind of coordinate around um, the idea of music. All of these festivals were um, interestingly, I mean, I think, is, is that all these music festivals, which are now largely embraced by their communities and their cities, were, you know, begrudgingly accepted at best. Um, by these organizations and by the kind of official, um, you know, stakeholders of the city, they were all arose out of counterculture, all arose out of, um, you know, they're seen as being, you know, um, suboptimal uses of of public goods. And um, over the course of the last 20 years, as as cities have moved into a a very steep competition amongst each other for um, having a distinctive place character. This is a competition for tourists. This is a competition for residents. This is a competition for companies to move to your cities, um, where companies are becoming mobile, people are becoming more mobile. Cities want to be distinct. They want to show themselves as having good quality of life and having a, a kind of strong, de- strongly defined place character. And so festivals are one of the ways that cities are able to point to themselves and say, you know, part of their offerings and say, look at what we do that's different from um, other cities, why you should move to Nashville, why you should move your corporation to Austin. And um, so over time, cities have become much more of a calling card, or I'm sorry, festivals have become much more of a calling card for cities. And that's why I think when, when looking at this meso level, I don't think I would have really appreciated that or understood that unless I, you know, which is a serious policy argument um if i had just interviewed the musicians and the tourists at the kind of ground street level street corner level
1: it was interesting how well the these cities uh, kept themselves together uh, during a time that could have been extremely socially disorganized um, there's a great level of friction or status frustration between some in groups and out groups the locals and the uh new people coming in for these festivals alone uh, the one example that i I can think of right off hand is in Austin where some of these uh, smaller businesses started up their own, uh, started up their own little side jobs while the larger festival is going on in the community.
0: Yeah. I mean, they, well, right. I mean, they were, those were, you know, businesses that were interested in participating in the festival and having these kind of counter, not so much counter, but, um, alternative, um, South by Southwest events. I mean, they, they appreciate the festival, right. And they want, they want to be a part of it because they know that they're bringing in tourists and they're bringing in music, um, you know, music folks from L.A. and New York City, there are, they want, um, you know, Vice Magazine to pay attention to them or, or Pace Magazine to, or Fader to, to come and stop by their boutique, um, fancy boutique, you know, you know, fashion, you know, store. But, it's really the locals who um, begrudge the traffic um, can't get their go to their usual restaurants for those the time that, that South by Southwest is in in, in session. It's uh they can't get a, a rental car. Um, they can't book an event. They can't go to their favorite bar because there's so many tourists coming in. I mean, the real, the real friction comes from, you know, not the, you know, kind of cultural amenities folks, Um, But everyday, you know, uh, you know, kind of dwellers of the city, which is is totally reasonable. Uh, In Austin, since we're we're talking about Austin, there's there's I wrote a piece called uh, Welcome to Austin. Don't move here, which is it was in the Guardian uh, newspaper. And uh, it was. It, it was because there is this sentiment among locals that um, it's, thank you so much for coming, but don't move here. Because what they see is, is that South by Southwest is, is too successful. And um, there's Austin has experienced such staggering growth um, over the last 20 years. Some people, I think largely incorrectly, I, you know, lay that blame to South by Southwest because it makes the city seem like a um, you know, practical cultural Valhalla where you just you can just stop at every uh, store and get free barbecue and beer and music and it's an all-you-can-eat Vegas buffet of 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 music and and, and culture. And um, of course, the city isn't always like that. It's it, you can see more music than you can anywhere else, live music than than in Austin, Texas. But um, you know so i i see that there's much more friction and certainly that was the case in in nashville in the last um you know in the, in the 70s and 80s where you had um you know c- the country music folks would come in and on the radio and and, and among, grumbled amongst themselves the city their locals wanted to consider themselves to have the Athens of the South uh, of of the city being a a place of learning of, of refined culture. And, and there are fantastic places. It's obviously it's the home of Vanderbilt university and Fisk. And it, it has these, these great, um, you know, uh, institutions of higher education and um, fine art. And then you would have, um, you know, folks coming in for the country music festival for the weekend who were um, not necessarily going to, um, you know, galleries of high art galleries. And so there was kind of a little bit of a of a break between what they wanted to see of themselves and what um, the folks that were coming in. And so their their locals would often tell me stories about how on the radio they would have fanny pack counts, and they had you know kind of very disparaging terms to describe um, country music fans um, set on the radio. And times sure have changed, where now um, you know country music is seen as being one of the you know kind of Real highlights and, and and real placemaking characteristics of of Nashville, Tennessee, even though it has a wide palette of of different music options uh, available to locals and tourists alike. I think that those days have largely come and gone. I think for now, now for the most. Oh, and and then I guess my third case is is also another example of this because the Newport jazz and folk festivals in the nineteen sixties were run well out of town. I mean, here you have the the asters and the um, the elites staying in in the fancy New York mansion or um, Newport mansions, and then you have um, you know the civil rights era. You have, uh, you have uh, African-American musicians, you have hippies uh, coming to the, the folk festival. There's obviously a disparity between the locals and the and, and the folks that were coming in for those festivals, so much so that they decided to close down and not permit the festivals to happen again. It was only later, 10 years later, where, where people started realizing that festivals actually did bring something to the, the city of Newport. And um that they invited uh, George Ween, the the, the founder of the festivals, to um, uh, to come back to Newport and start start up the festivals once again. And so, in each case, each of my cases, festivals were hardly seen as being the um, you know the future of the city. They were only kind of begrudgingly accepted. And It was only recently in the era of post-industrial consumerist experience culture where festivals are now seen as being you know, kind of one of the main strategies in urban cultural policy.
1: And I know you didn't get uh, too much into this with placemaking, but do you, do you see this as being a, a form of low culture uh, if we are to go into that discussion or, or is it becoming fancier? I, I see it as being popular culture to to some degree um, being there for, for anyone. And particularly in Newport, uh, you were talking about how, Uh, how it's almost, uh, uh, how this event is almost seen as being uh, imposed on them.
0: Yeah, I I think, right. Well, the first thing, yeah, I mean, the the first thing you were saying about lower high culture, I mean, I certainly think it's a, it's a malleable format for, for any kind of culture. Um, You know, certainly as popular culture in the sense that people really enjoy going to festivals lately. Um, Somewhat paradoxically, I say in the, in in the book in, in the sense that we, live in an age where music is freely available. You can listen to any kind of music that you want almost immediately. Um, through any of a number of different kinds of, of streaming services that, um, you know, people are not buying music as a, um, as, as a tangible good anymore and instead are buying music as an experiential one. And so um, there is this kind of festivals are, are, the Newport Folk Festival sells out their, their, tickets i think they're already sold out for august um of next year or uh, late july um they sell out every year before you even have any understanding of the lineup like the lineup isn't announced they haven't they haven't announced a single artist and they've already sold out their their tickets for next year they're almost sold out i haven't checked
1: did you strategically select these uh three different uh genres of music or did it just uh happen to be folk, indie and country?
0: Um it it was a combination of interests and of interest and also, um, opportunity. And I think it was, it was largely driven by the cities themselves as being, um, kind of mid tier cities in the, in the, as far as population go, being in the thirties, Newport is uh, a part of the Providence Rhode Island metropolitan statistical area. Right. So they're, they're all, I think, 33, 34, and 36 or something like that in the U.S. rankings, which I thought was kind of nice, that they were all trying to be more distinctive areas than um, while using music as a part of it. And so um, I, I make the case in the book that there are, there are more Charlestons that are trying to be like Nashville than there are Baltimores trying to be like New York City in the sense that there are a lot of cities that are trying to kind of compete with each other in, in the middle, Right you're not overtaking there's an there's much chance of overtaking new york city or la or chicago although houston's going to give it a, a, a good try over the next 50 years you know for the most part there's a lot of more um you know struggle for defining place in the 20s and 30s and and 40s where you have a real chance of, of like living or dying over the next few decades and so I was much more interested in that than the the particular genres themselves if I was interested in in a little bit more diversity in genres I think I I think I would probably have have gone to a different location like Atlanta if I was interested in hip-hop or something like that or maybe Miami if I was interested in EDM and and its relationship there um but it was I, I think I actually see a lot of similarity between those those genres there's uh, you know kind of there's alternative indie music at south by southwest um the folk music is largely what's called americana and then there's country music and i see americana as being kind of a, a well I, it's not just me but it's you know, kind of conceptualized as being a bridge in between indie music and and country music of, of these older traditions so Um, and it reinvented for the, the new moment. So I think that they probably have more relationship to each other in, in regards to the genres themselves.
1: Sort of sew this all together. You talk about how you write about how the, these different locations, um, have struggled financially because of, uh, the lack of, um, call it government support or, uh, or, or local support. Uh, however, you uh, also write that there are some other countries that are more socialist and more supportive of the music. Uh, could you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. I
0: think, yeah. I mean, the places aren't struggling. I don't want any listener to think that um, Nashville is is struggling in any way or is struggling in any way, right? I mean, I think that... Um, well, I mean, not in any way, but in in most ways, I guess. Right? I mean, all cities struggle over over issues of gentrification or crime or things like that, right? So, um, but uh, I think what I'm talking about relating, um, you know, festivals in the U.S. and 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 urban culture and culture and music in the U.S. versus other countries. Um, I I started hearing from the people that I interviewed, and and certainly, um, I interviewed not just the the convention and visitors bureaus. I was interesting. I was interviewing mayors. I was interviewing volunteers and locals and the shop owners, but I also interviewed a lot of musicians and a lot of the musicians, particularly folk musicians talked uh, a great deal, um, in, in a comparative way. And so they would, they would often compare the U S with Canada or with other countries and the support of, um, music in, in other countries. I mean, it's, uh, you go to Canada and you talk to music folks and you, you ask them to name a, uh, you, you name a musician who hasn't received some government funding, um, that you've heard any musician that you've heard of or any band that you've heard of. And it's, it's, they, they're, they're hard pressed because almost every act that international that are known internationally has been supported by the, by the government. And um, when comparing festivals, folk musicians will say that they you know for, for an American festival, you go and you, you get paid and you, you perform and, and that's largely the, the end of it, and then you leave. and uh, if you go to folk festivals in in Canada, and there, there's quite a lively folk festival scene in, in Canada, you always sign up for you know one performance and then another performance with another act and then you have to do like two community organizing you know kind of with boys and girls clubs in local you know gov- local you know kind of groups and that there's always this built-in kind of component to it that requires them as part of the job is to to come in and, and educate about about music and about folk music and it's just it's it just rings so it's, so novel to my ears as, as, as an American and somebody who's been studying, you know, urban, urban culture for a long time, that I, I wanted to, I definitely wanted to have that to be a part of the, about a part of the story in, in this book, because I was interested in how, or I wanted to, to say, we, we should be investing in festivals, but it shouldn't be, you know, purely market-driven, that cities should be supporting this and asking for something in return. Um, cities give up permitting cities give up streets uh cities give up uh time on this on the event calendar of, of the city and and for these festivals and they should be getting more in return for it and they should be asking you know musicians to to give to the communities and i think that they do in a lot of ways but just not in the way the same ways that they do in, in canada so for example in the um country music, uh, Fest, CMA Fest, which is the Country Music Association Music Festival, or CMA Fest, The um, all the musicians aren't paid. So, I mean, all the main musicians aren't paid. Their backing bands are, are paid, and um, and the crew is paid. But the, you know, kind of the big-name talent um, do participate in the festival for free. And um, all of the money and profits go back into music education, into Nashville. and. All you know, used, they used to come to the country music festival, and they would. Each musician would kind of have their pet project that they cared about, so um, they would work with a. The, they'd, they'd have all their fans kind of come to the music festival and donate money to the local homeless shelter, for example, or a domestic violence shelter, or something, or whatever whatever project they had. And the country music association decided that um, they they wanted to kind of corral all of that collective goodwill and philanthropy and really invested into the city itself. And so they, um, so, so millions of dollars have been funneled into Nashville's uh, music education uh, programs, uh, providing facilities, instruments, um, and and human capital. And that's, um, you know, so that's, that's absolutely something that is how this, you know, these festivals, Uh, bring in resources and funnel them into the local, you know, local communities, not just the local economy, but local communities.
1: What is, what is your, your next project? What are you working on now?
0: Well, it's a good question. So, um, so I did these two projects and I definitely was thinking about what, um, what I should be, you know, kind of turning my attentions towards. And, and when you, uh, after you get tenure, you, you start thinking about what you're, what you're going to be doing next. I was I was thinking do do I keep on doing kind of urban culture or or do I should I try and branch out a little bit and certainly when you start um, having kids and you get tenure and you, you start focusing on your teaching and all these and, and all the service requirements that come with with being a university professor you you it's easy to kind of still do the same kinds of of things and and I decided that I was going to do the harder thing and um, because I have a, a good relationship with somebody who's a health policy scholar. Um, and, uh, over the years we thought about working together. We, we thought it would be really good to think about how, how health policy and cities kind of intersect with each other. And so, um, right now, I am working with uh, two people at Ohio University, Dan Skinner and Berkeley Franz, and the three of us are, are doing a three-city comparative study of hospitals as anchor institutions in local economies, as um, you know, kind of like as brick-and-mortar buildings that are on the one sen- on the one hand, is very inward thinking in the sense of being um, you know, taking care of people inside the the, the the building itself, and at the same time they are um, vast, they, they, they are part of a vast healthcare network, both as far as policies go and as far as their organizations are concerned, um, being the sense that the healthcare systems are buying up hospitals, right? Um, but then also how hospitals are relating to their local communities as well. And so there's there's kind of often the the impression that, that high-end hospitals are more often oriented towards um, health care tourists, people who are kind of wealthy and flying in from other cities to come to a, you know, a, a bone and joint center, for example, and get specialized, highly specialized care, uh, top level care, and then um, not, at, uh, hospitals not serving their local communities that are right around their, you know, their brick and mortar right on the outside of the walls. And so we want to look at, you know, kind of what those relationships are and, and we've been focusing on um, Denver and Cleveland and Hartford, Connecticut, um, for a variety of reasons. You know, so I think I'm still I'm, I'm still working on the like three different city model of of doing research. So I'm trying to broaden my scope a little bit by including uh, some some adding in the area of healthcare to my skill
1: set. Are you looking at the urban areas of these these? Three locations uh, as compared to more rural hospitals. Uh, my wife and I and our two kids uh, live in Pella, Iowa, which is a very rural community, and those hospitals have a, a much different presentation than um, what I would think the urban hospitals would have in their communities.
0: Yeah, I mean, we think we're interested in how uh, festivals or festivals, huh?
1: Um, how hospitals you know kind of
0: stay in place after a long um, you know kind of decades-long relationships and so we're kind of interested in those older stories and as compared with as compared to other hospitals that maybe um, move to be more strategic in how they you know kind of bring in people and so I think I think that uh, urban hospitals are a um, definitely an interesting beast in the sense that they are kind of compelled to work with their communities in, in and in a, in a meaningful way. And so I think that there's, I think there's really something there. Um, you know, certainly somebody else, one of the listeners can can pick on a project about rural hospitals uh, after we, uh, after we finish up our book, they can, they can critique us by talking about rural hospitals. I think that that would be completely valid.
1: And strengthen the book by uh, citing, uh, citing uh, your book with your colleagues oh. and, and <laughs> putting it out there for the marketing the book.
0: Yeah, sure. I, uh, we're we're not we're we're we're, bar- we're we're not at that stage yet of the research, but sure, that sounds great. <laughs>